Hey everybody, welcome to the Xpot. I'm Raven X and I messed up. I recognized that the microphone was not connected for the first half hour or so of the recording. So unfortunately that has, uh, that did not hold a lot of the conversations we had with regards to NFL takeaways, um, discussing Frank Reich's firing and the decision to hire uh, Jeff Saturday in his stead. In the first part of what we were doing, um, with Odell Beckham Jr. and ranking the best fits for him. So I do apologize for that. So what you're about to hear is everything else beyond that. Um, at the point where it gets picked up, Ethan and I were talking about our, I believe our top two best fits for uh, Odell Beckham Jr. if he was to sign. And then everything else is fine. Everything else is great. Uh, in addition to that, we talk about the Packers where they made the if they're regretting their decision to keep Aaron Rodgers if, or if they should have traded him this past offseason when they had the chance and also go into a discussion about whether or not we think that the Utah Jazz are going to make the playoffs and then wrap things up uh, with my crown jewel recap. So once again, I'm so sorry about the first portion of the show not getting caught on microphone. Like I said, it's totally on me. But hopefully you guys, you enjoy the rest. Thanks. Odell would drastically help that um that wide receiver core. But I just think that it's Dallas. And the reality is like that no matter how good they are, they always have their letdown in the postseason. And I think Odell, after chasing a after winning a Super Bowl, I think he wants to get that feeling again. And I just don't think he's gonna be able to get it in Dallas. So that's really the main reason why I think they're second because I think the roster makes sense, the quarterback can make sense, but it's like, and for me it's perfect because I don't like Dallas whatsoever. Right. But it's like once the playoffs start, Dallas is um is cursed. I feel that. I, I definitely feel you on that. Uh, my number two is the New York Giants. I mean, I think everybody enjoys a good reunion, and you touched on it. I mean. I don't, I'm not sold on Daniel Jones either, but I do think that I think Odell could be fine in the number one, number two role. Of course, that hinges on, you know, his health. It hinges on Saquon Barkley continuing to have the really good season that he's been having, Wondell Robinson kind of stepping up. Um, but I do think that it could make a lot of sense because, I mean, if you put him on that team, it gives the Giants the most explosive receiver they've had all year. Um, because let's be honest, Wondell Robinson, the rookie, he's been fine. Stolen Shepard, they lost early in the year. Kadarius Toney didn't work out. Didn't Hasn't worked out with Kenny Galladay. And I think that with Odell, because he has familiarity with the city, I mean, plus it's a huge market. And that would allow him the chance to kind of, like I said, remind everybody who he is. And like I mentioned, familiarity with the organization. Sure, it's a different coach and different general manager that's there. But I do think that if he gets the chance to go back, I think that he could give them a spark in their passing game that they really have not had. I mean, if you look at the numbers, I believe Saquon Barkley is still their leading receiver. Um, and I want to say he also has the most catches as well. So I think that going back would uh, make a lot of sense for both parties. All right, and then your number one, which we all know. I mean, it's the Bills. I think, to me, given the fact that the Bills are such a pass-happy offense, and they don't really run the ball outside of running Josh Allen. I think Odell is going to get, he's going to be able to get enough targets to keep him, um, to keep him satisfied. 
And out of all the teams that we listed, in my personal opinion, I think you might agree with this. Like, if once Josh Allen gets healthy or if this elbow injury doesn't really affect his play, the Bills have the best chance of winning the Super Bowl out of all the four teams that are listed. Yeah. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. And it's also this. Like, if he goes to Buffalo, he can actually still live in New York. Yeah. So it's like, he can still go back to New York, be in a place, live in a place that's familiar. He'll just be playing for a different team. Um, and that's a big reason, too, because it's like, I think, like you say, like we both say, we think Odell wants some stability in where he goes. The Bills as an organization have been a very stable franchise. And he can go and get stability in a city where he started his career, but not play on the Giants and be on the team that might not um, have a great chance of winning. That's fair. All right, my number one, as much as I hate to say it, I got, I'm going to go with the Cowboys. I mean, we all know CeeDee Lamb is the guy. Uh, Michael Gallup is the two. But, I mean, they just – that receiving core has been pretty lackluster. And, I mean, it, this main story has been their the play of their defense and most recently Tony Pollard. They could definitely use an infusion at that wide receiving group, and I think Odell could provide them that. Because, I mean, with Michael Gallup, as I mentioned, right now he's listed as the number two, but truthfully, I don't think that he's better than Odell. If Odell, you get a fully healthy Odell, I would take what I got from Odell last season, the last nine-plus games, to what I've seen from Michael Gallup over the last couple of years. And so if you can get that and you pair it with CeeDee Lamb, not only is it going to make everybody around him better because he's a veteran and he can, like, expound some knowledge to these guys but also once you gotta worry about Odell it's gonna open things up for Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb and even Dalton Schultz their tight end and plus it will give a great deep threat option to um Dak Prescott who really doesn't have that this year even with how good CeeDee Lamb has been so as much as I hate to say the Cowboys I think I think that's the best fit unless of course he wants to mosey on down to Baltimore I will not complain but of the four teams he listed, I think that's the best fit. But let's talk about a team that he did not list, and that is the Los Angeles Rams, a team he won a Super Bowl with who may not even make the playoffs this year. Following that loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Jalen Ramsey called out his teammates, um, especially on offensively, and said, we have so many games where the defense will get a stop and we'll go to the sideline and they'll, referring to the offense, will be like, y'all stay locked in, y'all stay locked in. Y'all going to have to go back out there again. It shouldn't be like that. We got to have dogs who are going to be like, we're going to close this game out. I mean, unfortunately, that has been the case. The Rams have not been able to close things out, but – from the outside looking in, what do you think it's going to take to fix things in L.A.? Um, I think the first thing, obviously, is offensive line play. Yeah. Um, I think they're also, they have one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL, and it shows. Like, And I do agree with Jalen Ramsey where it's like, if the defense gets to stop, I don't want to hear my offense say, like, y'all stay locked in. Because I know y'all not gonna produce, or y'all not gonna make a play and get a and get um secure a drive to get a touchdown or a field goal to help us get a win. Like even if you know that you're not gonna do it, I would rather you lie to yourself and me and like try to have a instill a form of fake confidence rather than concede and be like, 
oh, y'all stay locked in because you know you're going to get stopped and y'all going to have to come back out here and get another stop. Yeah. Yeah, that's mad frustrating, especially because, and I'm sure it's especially frustrating for Ramsey and guys who've been there because you watched last year, the Rams had prob- statistically the best offense in the league. Matthew Stafford came in and was crazy. Sure, he led the league in picks, but, I mean, he also had almost double, if not double, the amount of touchdowns, had way more passing yards. Everything just seemed more fluid. And, I mean, yeah, like you mentioned, the offensive line has been terrible, but at least last year they had a bit of a run game. Cam Akers came back and was effective. Daryl Henderson was able to make some plays, and they do not have that at all. And so when everybody knows that you're throwing the ball, more specifically everybody knows you're throwing the ball to number 10, Nobody's really going to fear Allen Robinson. Then nobody's really going to fear a Van Jefferson. Like, it's uh, Tyler Higby. Like, nope. It's, the Rams' offense has become so predictable that it's like it makes it hard for them to get anything going. And, I mean, sure, like, Rams fans will say that they sold what they sold for the Super Bowl, which they absolutely did. But it's still, it's still very frustrating because it's like you wish that you got more production. You wish that you were able to see – your team play the way that they did when y'all went to the Super Bowl. Because like I said, right now, they may not even make the playoffs. So we'll see how it all shakes out, but I'm in agreement with you. It all does start with the offensive line. Our last piece before we play our game of believable or buffoonery. Also, in more breaking news for the Raiders, apparently Hunter Renfro is also headed to IR. So they are officially down bad. Um... Following the Packers get lost to the uh, Detroit Lions, longtime Packers superfan Little Wayne tweeted out, "Rip to the season. We should have gotten rid of twelve before the season." To be fair, they did have opportunities to trade him in the offseason. I mean, you and I were talking about whether or not we thought he was going to get traded. Teams that could be a good fit. I mean, hey, even the Broncos thought that they were going to get him before eventually trading for Russell Wilson. So, looking back at what we know now, do you think that the Packers regret not trading Aaron Rodgers and heading towards a rebuild? I think so. Um, because you essentially re-signed Aaron Rodgers with the hopes of being like, hey, we're still going to be the same team that's going to be able to make the playoffs and maybe make an NFC Championship game and make a Super Bowl run. But now, um, from an on-field play standpoint, you're already playing like you're playing like a team that's in rebuild mode, but you haven't rebuilt anything. Um, and I think they could have definitely received some pieces, some good pieces for Aaron Rodgers. So I think they, I definitely think they regret this decision. Yeah, for sure, especially because they could have at least got at least two or three first round picks for Aaron Rodgers. Um, yeah, especially he's coming off an MVP year. Like there were teams that, despite his age and despite not knowing how much longer he was going to play. It's still Aaron Rodgers. And so the fact that they didn't do and they thought they'd thug it out and that they'd be able to make it work with these receivers who have been underwhelming or have little to no resumes to, you know, brag about, it's really showing. So, no, I I do agree with Lil Wayne. I do think that they should have traded him. I mean, I don't remember how I felt when I saw that he they gave him that crazy extension. But you and I both felt like he wasn't gonna play out the full deal. Like he's been he was kind of been doing what Big Ben did his last few years. Like every offseason, you kind of feel like this could be it. And I genuinely feel like after this year he is gonna retire. And so they could have saved themselves the headache, got some trade capital, tried to build around Jordan Love, make the offense better, and add some more defensive pieces. Cause right now the Packers look 
They they look like the worst team in the NFC North. And when was the last time we could actually say that? Because I, I don't even remember. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our quick game of Believable or Buffoonery. And we might as well just call this the best edition because the first three questions revolve around if a certain player and or team is the best in the NFL. Your guy, Derrick Henry, in a recent interview was asked who he thought was the best player at his position. And he said, that's Nick Chubb. So I've been on the Nick Chubb bandwagon for a lot of the year. I felt like before the start of the season, he was going to go crazy. And he has... Um, I know, I want to say he's second right now in rushing yards just behind Nick, I mean, Derrick Henry. I also believe he might be second in touchdowns. But believable or buffoonery, is Nick Chubb the best running back in the league today? That's hard for me to say, but I'm going to have to still keep it with Derrick Henry. Um, simply because I under, I know Derrick Henry started off slow, but now he's picked up staying. And he's consistently done it like even we talked about i'm just thinking about it from the standpoint of like a longevity slash consistency standpoint yeah they both have been in their same um like frame of time but the difference to me with derrick henry is like derrick henry has done like superhuman stuff in this time period like he's rushed for two thousand yards he was on pace last year to rush for another two thousand yards before he got hurt um and like he's still like right now he's I think he's maybe two hundred yards above Nick Chubb in the rushing um leaderboard something like that because I don't think that the difference is that wide uh nah he's only uh thirty one yards okay My and bad. Nick Chubb has the most touchdowns but yeah but still to be to come back from that injury. To lead the league in rushing and to be second in touchdowns behind Nick Chubb, I still got to go Derrick Henry. And to also be in this position when um, when basically the whole entire offense is predicated on you. And, like, granted, they're in the same position. But, like, these past two games against the Texans and against the Chiefs, like, the whole offense was Derrick Henry. It was no one else. And, like, at least in the case of um, the Browns with Nick Chubb, like you have Amari Cooper on the outside that can potentially take some attention away from putting people in the box to stop. But like, you don't have that in Nashville this year. In that regard, I do agree. I'm still gonna give I'm still gonna give the nod to Nick Chubb because, like I said, he's been doing it every week. Derrick Henry kind of got off to a little bit of a slow start in these past few couple of games are really what's like boosting his numbers. But I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like a runaway Nick Chubb is the best. I think it's very, very close. But I th- I'm still getting a nod to Nick Chubb just ever so slightly because he's been doing it all year. But let's talk about somebody else who's also having a pretty good season, and that is quarterback Tua Tungabaloa. Where his teammate Tyree Kill said he's the best in the league, baby. He's the most quarterback, I mean, most accurate quarterback in the league. Know that. I actually do not know the completion percentage stats, so I can't speak to that. But believable or buffoonery, Tua Tungavailoa is the best quarterback in the NFL. You already know I'm saying no, but it's fine. No, I'll give him, I can give him top 10, but I definitely can't give him best. Yeah, he's having 
a great year numbers wise. But I can say I'll say this. When um what's his name? When um dang, uh, t- uh Teddy Bridgewater had to come in. He put up pretty much the same numbers as Tua did. And that's just because you get yak monsters like Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. It really don't matter who you, who you give, you know, who's throwing in the ball because they're going to be able to get open and make plays out in space. And I give that more credit than I would to Tua. But, I mean, Tua's having a really good year, but I'm, I'm calling buffoonery. All right, last but not least, as much as I want to say believable – I can on this next one. Brandon Marshall on Inside the NFL on Paramount Plus said, the Ravens are the best team in the league, and it's not even close. This may be the best Ravens team we've ever seen. I'm calling buffoonery on both counts, but I'll let you say your part first before I expand. Uh, This definitely is, I'm saying buffoonery on both parts, because this one definitely isn't the best Ravens team we've ever seen. That, that I don't, I'm not going to give a specific year. But that definitely lies with the right Lewis, Ed Reed, Terrell Suggs, um, like that group. I think those were the best Raven teams we've ever seen. And they aren't the best team in the NFL this year. Like We're not better I, than the Chiefs. We're not better than the Bills. Not better, not better than the Chiefs, not better than the Bills. Maybe not and you can argue the Eagles. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about the Eagles. Uh no, we're not better than the Eagles. I'm not even gonna no. Nah. Offensively I would take – I don't think our defense – our defenses are that big of a difference, but offensively I would take theirs over ours for sure. So now I would go Eagles are better than us too. Yeah, no. As my, I love – I like the compliment, but then again I don't because I don't like when everybody tries to get on the Ravens bandwagon. I'm like, oh, the Ravens are this, Ravens are that. Nah, go back to where LeBron – I mean, Lamar is a running back. We don't have any receivers. We can't stop – like, keep that mentality. I don't like when people get on our, on our bandwagon because then that's when it starts getting annoying because just as quickly as they love you, they hate you. So, no, Brandon, we're not the best team in the league. At all, and this is easily not the best Ravens team we've had. Honestly, I would take the 2019 team over this one. We are way better, especially offensively. Like Lamar, not even just factoring in Lamar, but I mean, we were just so much more fluid. Our defense was getting more stops consistently. We were forcing a lot of turnovers, which I mean, we're doing that now too, but we weren't allowing as many yards. No, I'm I'm taking that Ravens team by far. All right, last but not least, this uh this is an interesting question. Following the NFL trade deadline, which has been at week eight for what feels like forever. However, several teams in the NFL are interested in voting to push back the NFL trade deadline from its current position of week eight to either week 10 or week 12. Believable or buffoonery, the NFL should push back the NFL trade deadline. Uh, I'm going to say believable because I think in the cases of like, some of the bigger names, like, what if we were to have had a potential Aaron Rodgers trade this year and people were working out the particulars of it and they just want, they just needed a little bit more time? Um, or, like, Carolina. They did, they traded Christian McCaffrey, and I understand that they weren't willing to give up Brian Burns. But who's to say if you had two more weeks? their minds wouldn't have changed and we would have had another big trade. So, I think it would be cool just from the standpoint of like, we might get some more 
like groundbreaking trades in the NFL because they'll have more time to like work out particulars. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it'll just be like, and you know, I've told you this, like, you're a way bigger football fan than I. But like, one of the tiny aspects of the NFL to me is seeing trades because the NFL, unlike the NBA, like, you see more bigger name guys get traded. So, like, I would enjoy just from that aspect of being like, like, say, for instance, uh, Tennessee would have had a couple weeks and we would have made a trade for, like, a wide receiver or something like that. It would have been cool to see. I will agree only because they added another week to the season. And so now it's 18 weeks. I think that they could push it back to like week nine. I don't think it should be like week 10 or 12 because I do like more that it's in that mid-season aspect. So teams – so if a player is traded to a team, they'll have at least two months to kind of build chemistry with their teammates instead of it being like later in the portion of the season where they don't have as much time to kind of get together. Plus, around this time is when a lot of teams have their bye weeks. And so it is easy to kind of facilitate those trades more because you'll be able to bring these guys in and give them a week off before being jumped into the action. So I think it should be moved back, but only by a week. All right, let's go ahead and make our Week 10 NFL game pick, starting with tonight's game between the Atlanta Falcons and the Carolina Panthers. It seems like every time I pick uh, the Panthers, they let me down. So I'm going to go Falcons. Yeah, I'm picking Falcons. Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Seattle Seahawks in Germany. I think that this is the start of the Bucks turnaround. I got Bucks. Uh, I got Bucks as well. Tennessee Titans versus the Denver Broncos. This is tough. I'm going to go Broncos, mainly because I don't know if Ryan Tannehill is playing, and I trust Russell Wilson to lead a game-winning drive more than I do Malik Willis. Uh, It's looking like he is playing. He's back at practice. Uh, I just saw that, like, yesterday. So I think he will be playing. But I'm going to be honest, even still, I would have still picked the Titans because – if we were able to hold the Chiefs to 20 points, I feel like we could hold the Broncos to six. That is a terrific point. Uh, Miami Dolphins versus the Cleveland Browns. I got Dolphins. Dolphins. Pittsburgh Steelers versus New Orleans Saints. This is really tough, but I think I'm going to go Steelers. I think TJ Watt coming back. So I'm, I'm, that's going to be my reason. I'm going Steelers. Yeah, I think I'm going to go Steelers too. Uh, Detroit Lions versus the Chicago Bears. I think this is going to end up being a back-and-forth game, but I'm I'm going Bears. I'm going Bears, too. Buffalo Bills versus the Minnesota Vikings. Probably in – I think this is the first time Stephon Diggs is playing the Vikings since being traded. Battle of two top five wideouts. But in the end, I got Bills. I think they got a point to prove. But I do think Jay Jettis goes off. I'm going Bills and Stefan about to cook them like a ham on Thanksgiving. Oh, for sure. Now, I'm I'm guessing you probably gonna say Stefan who has more yards, but over under one fifty for Stefan. I'm gonna say under. I think he's gonna get somewhere like one forty. That's respectful. I think he get one forty. I can see J getting like one one ten to one twenty with a couple touchdowns and same for Stefan. All right, Kansas City Chiefs versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. I know the Jags feeling themselves, but that's going to end pretty quick. I got Chiefs. 
Yeah, I got you. Las Vegas Raiders versus the Indianapolis Colts. Honestly, I have no clue. I think I'm going to go Raiders, but I'm not confident in that decision. I'm going Colts. I don't blame you. For the first time probably ever, I'm picking the Dallas Cowboys to beat the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, me too. Uh, Arizona Cardinals versus the Los Angeles Rams. Battle of two disappointing NFC West teams. But I, I'm i going to say the Rams because they the Cardinals still don't have anybody to stop uh, Cooper Cup. And that that's all they need. I'm going to – I forgot. You know what I'm saying, Rams, too, because the Cardinals don't got nobody that can really rest the pass or like this. Nope, I have not had it all season. All right, Sunday Night Football. This will be a fun one. Los Angeles Chargers versus the San Francisco 49ers. I'm going to pick the Chargers with the caveat of I think at least Keenan Allen is coming back. But if it's another game without Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, then no, I think they lose. But it's looking like both are expected to play, so I'm going to go Chargers. I think I'm going to go with San Fran. That's fair. All right, last and kind of least. Monday Night Football, the Washington Commanders versus the Philadelphia Eagles. I got Eagles. I got Eagles. All right, let's talk the players we are watching this week. Uh, offensively, I'm watching Aaron Rodgers, obvious for obvious reasons. I mean, had a terrible game, need a bounce-back win. And, I mean, he always puts on a show against the Cowboys, so maybe this will be the jump start that they need. Uh, defensively, I'm going Carlton Davis, cornerback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, he has not exactly had a good year. And going up against the likes of DK Metcalf is going to be a big test. But if he can get some stops, the Bucs will have a shot. Uh, my rookie is Chris Olave. As we all know, the Steelers secondary has been getting cooked all year. And I think Chris Olave could be the next one to do it, even though I don't think they're going to win. And then finally, I'm calling out the Vikings. You guys are, what, 8-1, 9-1 now easily easily are running away with the nfc north and i mean this is your toughest t- test to date so if they can pull this out i think that's going to speak volumes to the respect that the vikings are going to get oh uh, for me offensively i'm going to be looking at josh allen reported that he has an elbow injury mm-hmm. um and he's still going to play through it and it isn't that serious but just to just see how he does with that injury to see how um how much of a hindrance it can affect this play. Defensively, I'm going to be looking at your boy, PQ. Oh, uh, we got to buy. Okay. You mean P2, P2, Patrick Peterson? Yeah, Patrick Peterson. My guy. Because uh, he's going to be going up against Stefan. And, that's, and honestly, that's the biggest game of the week. Um, And so, you know, Stefan, Stefan don't take no – he a fiery dude. He don't take nothing from nobody. So I want to see how this gonna, how that matchup is going to look. And um, the team that I'm calling out, hmm. <laughs> I'm calling out the Eagles simply because I think they're going to win. But this, this feels like a trap game. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Oh, you didn't say a Ricky. You're watching. Oh, uh, Ricky, I'm watching. Uh. Uh, shoot, what's his name? Dang it, I just forgot that fast. You know the team? Uh, Damon Pierce. Okay. I don't know why. Who they play? Oh, they, oh crap, I forgot. Uh, Houston's, Houston plays the Giants. I got Giants. My bad. I totally forgot to mention that game. Yeah, so I got Giants too, but yeah, I'm watching him just because 
Jordan Davis is out. Uh, so every and like my next favorite position is running back. So I'm probably always gonna either pick him or Kenneth Walker from now on. So Jordan Davis gets back. Fair. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Starting with our Mamas of the Week at the Eastern Conference. Who you got? There's only one person. Giannis. Actually, I think there's somebody else worth mentioning. Donovan Mitchell's been balling. Spidey's having a terrific season, so I'm, I'm going to go Spider. All right, what about the Western Conference? I think it's a bit more. It's more up in the air over over there. More up in the air. Um, I'm going to go with Desmond Bang simply because Ja, he's been doing Ja things, but Ja, these past couple games, hasn't been like, top-level job, and Desmond Bain has carried the slack. Like, even last night, he carried a big load um, full of grids and kind of helped close out that game against the Spurs, which we almost got cheated, by the way. Yes, you did. Winning. But, yeah. Uh, For me, I'm going to go with Laurie Marketing. I can't tell you the last time I gave this man props or anything, but, hey, the – the uh, Utah Jazz been playing great, and he's been a really big part of it. Back-to-back games of scoring over 20-plus points, nearly got a double-double this past game. I mean, shooting over 50% from the field and what? Yeah, he just shot 75% from three against Atlanta. I mean, I know we're going to talk about the Jazz more later on, but, I mean, Laurie Marketing is finally playing to the potential of what he was drafted. He was expected to be a premier scorer, but he's bounced around a bit. It has not really happened. And now with Utah, it seems like he's got a nice fit. I mean, he's been their best player so far, so I'm going to give him his props. All right, Ricky Mamba, I got Paolo. I, want, I almost said Jaden Ivey, but Paolo's just been too dominant. All right, let's talk our takeaways of the week. Starting at number three, what you got? Number three, um, I I appreciate the Nets for making the right decision by um up by um hiring Jacques Vaughn instead of going out to email Udoka. Simply from the standpoint of I think that. If you were just to immediately hire Emmanuel Udoka, it kind of belittles the situation that happened with him in Boston. Yeah. And so, like, I appreciate them for making the right move. Yeah, I will get to that in a bit. But, yeah, no, I, I do agree. I think they made the right decision. Uh, Number three for me is the, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks better hope that Giannis gets back soon. Don't get me wrong, Javon Carter had himself a night – Took double overtime to do it, but they beat the Thunder, dropped a career-high 36 points. But nobody is expecting Javon Carter to have this type of production or really anybody else in that team to produce the way that they did on a consecutive basis. And, I mean, it's fine against the Thunder, but once you play against teams that are much more balanced, such as uh, 76ers or Celtics or things like that, it's going to be a different result. And right now I believe the Bucks still have the best record in the league. To keep that up, Giannis has got to come back soon. Uh, for me, number two, um, Paulo Bencaro might actually be the best rookie since LeBron James. Um, when you look at the way that he plays, and it's funny because in the preseason, he was kind of average. Yeah. Like, he looked 
like he was going to be this dominant player. But then it's like the minute the first game of the season has started, he's been a different player. And he, and if he continues his play, he's the runaway rookie of the year without any contention in my mind. Yeah, no, it's not close. Like I said, the only the next closest person may be Jaden Ivey, but it's not it's not close. Uh, my number two, going back to Brooklyn, is Kevin Durant has been playing on a whole nother level. I mean, we're going to get to the Kyrie Irving stuff, but with him facing his suspension, of course you're looking at your other great players to ball out, and that is exactly what Kevin Durant has been doing. He was definitely in contention from Eastern Mamba of the week. I mean, dropped 29, had a triple dub against the Knicks uh, a couple, well, last night, dropped 26 in a close game against Dallas, really was giving Charlotte buckets. I mean, we all know how great Kevin Durant is. But, I mean, without having equal or close to equal talent around him, it's really starting to show. Um, Number one, I think the Minnesota – not even I think. The Minnesota Timberwolves are the biggest joke in the NBA. Um, we – this past week, it was a video released where they were in the middle of a game running a set on offense, and Anthony Edwards – literally stood there, didn't move at all. Just chilling. Somewhat, just chilling. Somebody with his hands on his hips. Somebody attempted to set him a back screen. He just stood there and the guy kind of brushed off. And it's funny because they still were able to get a quality shot out of it. But, and then just last night, I sh- and I sent you a video where D'Angelo Williams is standing at the, um, at the scorer's table stretching when he's supposed to be in the game. So he was four players on the men, on defense for Minnesota going up against five offensive players. And, uh, yeah, for this to be a team that just this past year was in the playoffs and made this big trade for Rudy Gobert, thinking that they were going to um, make a jump, like, for the start of this season, that team has really been um, in shambles. I mean – don't give it time, you know. What what cats say? Two generational talents. They're the new him and Anna, the new Shaq and Kobe. Just give them a minute. Give them time. You got it. I believe. No, I don't. I don't believe in the Timberwolves. I, I, I'd be. I'm not gonna say I'd be shocked if they made the playoffs, but I, I count more stock in them not making it than I think they will. Uh, my number one is LeBron's possible injury may be a blessing in disguise. After le- leaving last night's game with leg soreness in a game we already were losing to the Clippers, um, LeBron, it's, it's still TBD on how long he's going to be out or if it's even a serious injury. But, I mean, I think that the Lakers need not necessarily a reality check, but this is the time that you want Anthony Davis to step up. I mean – you bring him in there with the pro- thought process of once LeBron retires or leaves, this is 80s team. And so this will give him a chance to see just how well the team can run if it is run solely by AD, assuming, of course, that he plays. Because right now, we can't blame Russ anymore. The whole Russ is the problem in LA thing is not is not the case. Because since coming off the bench, he's been pretty efficient and been having some really good games. So I think for the Lakers with Le- LeBron out, if he is out, I think that it'll be very telling and let them know, A, what they need to do just with regards to roster personnel, B, better ways to shape their roster and then possibly even make a trade later on to try to find fill the holes that they have and see determine if AD really is that guy because you and I have talked about it. I am not convinced that AD is the next standard bearer for the Lakers once LeBron leaves and 
if he doesn't ball out in the way that you want him to, especially when this is his prime opportunity to be the guy, I wouldn't be shocked if they traded him. I mean, he's not doing nothing else besides sitting on the bench and missing shots, so why not? But all right, let's go ahead and talk the roster moves. You touched on it during your takeaways, but Brooklyn Nets hire uh, Jock Vaughn to be their full-time head coach. And when speaking um, on the promotion, I like this quote from him. He said he related to marriage where he said, I may not have been her first choice, and we've been together for 20 years. I don't know if we're ever going to have another 20-plus year head coach, maybe outside of Steve Kerr, but... I like this move by the Nets. So with Jock Vaughn stepping up into this role, how do you think the Nets are going to respond? Uh, I think they're going to respond to it well. Uh, he's been an assistant there for a while. He, I know he has relationships with those players, especially KD, um, Kyrie, once he gets back, hopefully. Um, so I think they are going to respond. I just think, I just hope that the only, my only concern is that is this one of those situations to where they kind of put another African American in like a hopeless situation just for him to get fired? Um, I I hope that's not the case either. But I mean, I hope not. I mean, Loki. I think that the Nets are unless they somehow win a ring this year. I think they're blowing it all up at the end of the season. So, I think I like it better, like you said, than getting the May Udoka, um, just because all the character issues that have come about over the last few months. But I, I hope it's not one of those cases because I think Steve Nash kind of proved that it was a bad spot for anybody. Unless you are like a established head coach who has seen a bit of everything, who is well-known for managing different personalities, the Nets were not going to be a long-standing job for you. And so I don't... I don't think that's the case. But let's go ahead and move on to injury news. Suns suffer a big loss losing Cam Johnson for expected the rest of the season after after having surgery on his torn meniscus in his right knee. And Pascal Siakam, after starting the year out on fire, is expected to be out for at least two weeks after being diagnosed with the strain of the right adductor muscle after his slip on the floor um, in Friday night's game against the Mavericks. So... Hopefully, speedy recoveries for both of those guys. And now let's move back to Brooklyn and talk Kyrie Irving, who shortly after our episode of last week's podcast ended, it was announced that he was going to be suspended for at least five games. And now as more information has come out, uh, there's been more added to his suspension. For example, Nike is suspending its relationship with Kyrie Irving and won't launch his Kyrie 8s. There's no timetable as long on how long that's going to last. And also, in order for Kyrie to return, he has to fulfill six requirements. First, apologize slash condemn the movie that he, quote-unquote, promoted. Uh, donate $500,000 to anti-hate causes. Go Undergo sensitivity training and anti-Semitic training. Meet with the ADL, Jewish leaders, and meet with Joe Tsai to demonstrate understanding of his wrongdoings. You and I have talked about this quite a bit. Um, just with when the first announcement of his suspension came out, but Ethan, with more and more being added to it and with the criteria, for lack of a better phrase, are the Nets blowing this situation out of proportion? Because I think they are. I do too. 
Because, like, and I think when we talked about it previously, I didn't know what the exact documentary slash film was that he promoted. Mm-hmm. But now I've seen, like, the image. And from what I'm in the under, from what I've heard, like, my understanding, basically the film is saying that black people were the first, like, Hebrews. And essentially saying, like, we're the like we're the real descendants of Hebrews or something along those lines. Um, so yeah, I I don't want to speak too much into it, but I definitely think that they're doing a lot. And I think it's unfair to Kyrie simply because he already has apologized. And I do think, I do understand that Adam Silver is Jewish himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that that might also be playing a part in it. But I definitely just think that, like, from the standpoint of this is a lot of stuff just for not... And, like, he didn't say... He never did anything where it was, like, a hate crime. Yeah. He just shared a movie. And, like, he never said... He never shown that he was anti-Semitic or anything like that. He just... um he just shared a documentary that he thought people should watch. So, yeah, I think they definitely are overblowing this. Yeah, it's a bad... I'm, well, what Kyrie did, I get it. Like, it's you don't want your star player to, to promote a video like that. Because, like, neither of us have seen it. And so what we can really base it on is stuff that we've read about it or where we've heard about it. So that's why, like... I don't like I know I'm not speaking too much on the documentary itself because I can't speak on something I I don't know. But I do think that like you mentioned, like Kyrie Irving has never explicitly said any anti-Semitic things. He has not really done anything that shows that these are his views. And so the suspension in itself is one thing. But then it's like I feel like if you have to like put in these requirements so to speak, for him to come back, it doesn't seem genuine. Like, if he wanted to donate money to an anti-Semitic cause, let him do that. Don't make him do it in order for him to come back. Don't make him have to speak with um, Jewish leaders so he can come back. Because now it's starting, like, if people who already felt some type of way about Kyrie and everything that happened, they could easily be like, oh, well, he's not sorry. He just wants to come back and play. Or he has to to get back in Brooklyn. Because, honestly, that's what it looks like now. And, I mean, in terms of Nike suspending him, I get that. I mean, you're a brand. You don't want anybody who's, like, making your brand look bad or possibly going to lose you money. I get that from Nike's standpoint. But for the Nets, if they would have just left it at, hey, he's suspended for five games, that's it. It would be – you and I, I know we talked about it. We didn't agree with it then. But when you add more stuff to it, I just feel like it's just blowing it more and more out of proportion. And it's I'm I'm not even Kyrie Irving, but I'm I'm kind of annoyed by it. So I can only imagine what he's feeling. But tis what it is. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. We were just talking about Pascal Siakam, and I mean he has been having a pretty good year, so much so. That uh, Vince Carter, Raptors legend in his own right, said this. Not only is he an all-star, he's a rising star. He's a champion, and he's on his way to being top five, if not already. 
it sounds a bit crazy to think of him as a top five player because, I mean, let's be honest, he's not. But overall, he is having a terrific season, averaging 24.8 points per game, 9.3 rebounds, 7.7 assists, also shooting about 47.9% from the field. I mean, he's having a good year, so could the believable buffoonery, this could be the year that Pascal Siakam becomes a top five player in the league? No. Yeah, I know. He, he, he still, I can see him being in the top 15, but I don't. I, yeah, nah. Yeah, we're, we're in agreement on that. I mean, I like Pascal Siakam. It's nice to see him play the way he's been playing. But, I mean, once again, still nobody is talking about Pascal Siakam. Like, no. All right, next up, we're going to Memphis. And more specifically, we're going to talk a guy we both, uh, you mentioned earlier, Desmond Bain and Ja Morant, who recently were asked whether or not he and Desmond Bain were, where they rank among the top NBA backcourts, to which Ja replied, top two and were not two. Believable or buffoonery, Ja and Desmond make up the best backcourt in the NBA. Believable. Um, reason being, right now, in my opinion, from out when you think about the point guard position, it's the best point guards, Steph, Ja, and Luka. They're the top three best point guards in the NBA right now. And then when you look at shooting guards, like you don't have, like you have guys like Clay Thompson. I don't think at this current point in his career, I don't think Clay Thompson is better than Desmond Bain. I can receive flag for that, but it is what it is. Um, and like the other backcourts that have top shooting guards, their point guards aren't on the caliber of Jaws. So I, I'm i going to say believable. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, probably, maybe the biggest argument would be Golden State, but like you mentioned, Clay isn't exactly the guy that he used to be. I don't know if I'd say Clay was better. I mean, Desmond Bain was better than Clay, but I mean, it's not a far off margin. I mean, if we're talking impact, Right now, it's it's obviously Desmond Bain. Uh, so if you take out what we've seen for the past several years from Clay and just factoring the two players at this moment, yes, yeah, Desmond Bain. But overall, I'm still not sure. But yeah, I do agree with you. I think that they are the best backcourt in the NBA, and I think that if they're healthy, they're really going to be able to show that. Right, talking about showing things, the Utah Jazz have been pretty darn good this year in a season where everybody expected them to be the worst team in the league. As of now, they are 10-3, and um, and apparently Donovan Mitchell was not exactly surprised by that. He said they got hoopers. I don't know why everybody was so quick to write them off. I think they got phenomenal leaders in the locker room. Laurie Marketing seconded that and said, that tanking talk definitely feeds us. We hate to see it. Every morning when we win, we see that as it's a surprise. And for him, he wants to also be an all-star, which he is having a pretty good year. Not to mention the all-star game is going to be taking place in Utah this year. So, believable or buffoonery, this is going to be a renaissance year for the Jazz, and they will make the playoffs. No. Um, I see this Jazz team being very similar to like the Sacramento Kings teams 
of recent years. Honestly, I can't even say recent years, but like, like the two that like twenty tens on, whereas every year they start off incredibly hot, and it's like, hey, is this going to be the year where they finally get over the hump and make the playoffs? And then like mid, closer to midway through the season, they start to fizzle out. I think that's going to be this Utah Jazz team, and I also think that a big reason why they have started out so good is like, yes, they don't have a definitive superstar, but they have really, they just have really good, solid players. Yeah. And I think this Utah Jazz team is going to be the team where you're going to see maybe around a trade deadline team, like contending teams plucking certain players. Like I'm thinking Malik Beasley. He's my. He's probably going to be gone. Yeah. Um. If a team's willing to deal with Mike Conley's contract, Mike Conley's probably going to be gone. Lauren Marketing might stay just because he. If it, he seems like he always does this, where he shows really good flashes and then he just kind of like fizzles out. So like I can see, like I see them having a hard start. I can see them kind of staying relevant, but once it gets time for a trade deadline. It's, Teams make moves to um, get veteran guys to add to their roster. I don't see them making it that far, um, making it to the playoffs. But once it gets here. Yep, you and I are in agreement on that. I'm calling buffoonery, but I mean, it's a nice start. But like you said, I do expect them to fizzle out sooner rather than later. Uh, talking about fizzling out, this was supposed to be, you know, a bounce back year from Ben Simmons, former first overall pick. Things didn't work out in Philly. Misses his first official year as a Brooklyn Net, and now is his opportunity to play. But unfortunately, it does not seem that that has been happening. And apparently, uh, his name has been brought up in trade discussions over the past couple of weeks. So, believable or buffoonery, Ben Simmons will be traded from the Nets before the end of the year. Buffoonery. Nobody's going to want to trade for what he's been. Like, he doesn't have trade value right now. Yeah. Uh, he, he isn't playing good. He doesn't look great. I don't, like, people can make, look at him for the potential, but what he's done on the court recently just hasn't shown that he's worthy of being traded for. Yeah, I'm a, I'm agreeing with you there. I don't really, like you said, I mean, especially because I feel like the Nets aren't going to just take anything for him, even though he's not worth much. And so I think that's what's going to really end trade talks. All right, keeping things in Brooklyn, Chris Broussard had an interesting thing to say last night after watching uh, Luka and the Mavs beat the Brooklyn Nets, to which he said, Luka is better than Kevin Durant. Giannis is the best player in the world. Luka is second. KD never led his team to a championship. Luka will multiple times. So let's play the the career comparison game. When it's all said and done, believable or buffoonery, Luka Doncic will have a better career than Kevin Durant. Uh, I'm gonna say no. I don't think. I honestly don't think Luke is gonna lead the Mavs to a championship, and it's not because of him. It's because of the Mavericks organization. Like they haven't, they haven't been able to find Luca a good number two option. Um, since he's been there, like Jalen Brunson became a great option, but they just let him go to New York. They traded for Christian Wood, and he's been a viable piece. But it's like, I don't think Christian Wood is going to, if you're trying to win a championship, I don't think Christian Wood is the guy that you want as the second best player on your championship team. 
Um, so if they still continue to struggle, even when they went after Przingis, they went after Przingis to be the number two to Luka, and that didn't turn out well. So I think if they still struggle to find a number two, because in today's NBA, you need two, you need one superstar and one like really, really like perennial all-star level player to win a championship. And I don't think Luka has that. And I don't know if the Mavericks are going to be able to get him that anytime soon. And so because of that, I don't see him ever winning the championship. Yeah, I'm saying believable on that, too. Because it kind of reminds me of those questions where it's like, would you rather be your team's best player and never win a ring? Or would you rather win, like, three rings but never be your team's best player? Of course, in the case of Kevin Durant, he was great when he won those rings with the Warriors. But it's always going to not necessarily have that asterisk, but everybody's going to kind of look at it like, oh, well, he joined the 73-9 and team. He ain't lead his team to win anything. And so... By looking at it kind of through those lens, I do call buffoonery as well. I think Luka is going to have a terrific impact on the Mavericks and have a great career, but him winning a ring, or at least in Dallas, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen either, which kind of kills that whole argument from Chris Broussard. But all right, last one, which this one just kind of makes me laugh. Uh, Anthony Davis talked about the team's, the Lakers' early struggles. And he still remains confident that the Lakers are a team to be feared. He said, we're not the team that our record shows. Any given night, our team can play well and explode. I know teams fear us. So believable or buffoonery, teams still fear the Lakers. Uh, what's the buzz, what's the buzz bunny mean? No. <laughs> Yeah, no. Hard no for me, boss. Yeah. I mean, after a while, like, the Lakers name carries weight, but it the Lakers name carries nowhere near as much weight as it used to. So, and LeBron James is awesome, but LeBron James is also about to turn, what, 38? He's he his body can't bounce back from injuries like it used to. Anthony Davis is glass. I love Russell Westbrook, but let's be honest, he's not gonna lead the team to any championships or anything. So yeah, it's a hard buffoonery for me, boss. But all right, let's go ahead and make our nightly game picks. For tonight, only four games on, but it should be pretty entertaining. Starting with the Dallas Mavericks versus the Washington Wizards. I got Mavs. I got Mavs. Philadelphia 76ers versus the Atlanta Hawks. I got 76ers. Uh, I got 76ers. Charlotte Hornets versus the Miami Heat. I got Heat. I got Heat. All right, last and certainly not least, the Portland Trailblazers versus the New Orleans Pelicans. I think this is going to end up being a pretty competitive game, but I'm going to go. You know what? I'll go Trailblazers. I'm going Pels. All right, now it's time to recap Crown Jewel. Uh, Brock Lesnar wins the battle, but Bobby Lashley gets the last laugh after beating him up 
post bell and choking him out. Nikki Cross interferes in the match to help secure Damage Control's second women's tag team title reign. Drew McIntyre outsmarts Scarlett and Karrion Cross to win the steel cage match. Rhea Ripley continues to be the biggest X-Factor on Raw as she helps the Judgment Day take down the OC. Braun Strowman wins the battle of the big sweaty men after beating Omos. The Usos are Usi again, as Usi as ever with their win over the Brawling Brutes. I have to stop doubting the greatness of the EST as she beats Bailey again because I just I just keep thinking they're gonna put the belt on Bailey, but then I watch Raw and I was like, oh no, I'm getting Rhea versus Bianca at some point. So holding out hope on that one. And then last but not least, Roman Reigns proves that Logan Paul doesn't belong after returning, retaining, I'm sorry, his undisputed universal WWE championship. On the night, I finished 5-3. and three. My favorite match, not surprisingly, was Bianca Belair versus Bayley, mainly because it's always nice to see Bianca Belair win. But also, it was a pretty good match. I like that they didn't have um, damage control interfere. They let the two women do what they do best, and that is wrestle. And it was a pretty entertaining match, which, of course... I'll get to it in one of my favorite moments in the WTF moments. Yeah. Uh, my favorite moment of the night was Bobby Lashley choking out Brock after their match. Like, I wish Bobby would have won clean, but I like the way that they did it because it kept Bobby looking strong. And then with him choking out uh, Brock after the fact, I think that that shows that he is tough and it's kind of this new attitude from Bobby that we really haven't seen from smiling, nice guy. Like when he was United States champion, I do it for you and the fans. Nah, screw that. Go be a heel. Uh, increased stock for me is going to be the Judgment Day. Once again, I didn't think they were going to beat the OC, but they did, and I'm happy about it because I like the Judgment Day, and I'm excited to see where it's going to go. Um, and decreased stock is going to be Bailey because now it's like, what's next? You already lost twice to Bianca Belair. Both great matches, but now it's like, are you going to try to get a mid? Are they going to introduce a mid-card title? Are they, is she going to feud with somebody else? Like, I'm not really sure where it's going to go because I don't think Bianca is going to lose the belt to anybody not named Rhea Ripley, which, don't get me wrong, I'm very happy about. Uh, next up, my one booking decision. I would have let the Usos get their lick back against Jake Paul. Um, I'll admit, it took me a little bit to get on the Logan Paul bandwagon, but now that I'm on it, especially after this past week, I was like, yo, Logan Paul's got what it takes in the ring. Um, I like his charisma, I like his swagger. I can't say the same about his brother. And so when his brother was like punching out the Usos, I was hoping that, especially when they had him like ganged up with Solo uh, coming out, I was hoping that they would get their lick back. I was hoping that they would at least get a few punches in before uh, Logan Paul came and did the spot over the rope. Um, my WTF moment, uh, Bailey and Bianca getting jiggy with the golf cart. Uh, I think it's the first spot that they've used that since uh, Roman versus Kevin Owens, which was a great spot, by the way. Uh, and so I'm excited. I was very excited when I saw Bailey driving it, and it was even funnier when uh, Bianca was driving down a ramp and just, I don't know if you've seen the picture of them just holding off for dear life. It was pretty hilarious. So, And then my show grade was a B-. minus. Pretty solid show overall. Um, hmm. It was a show. You know, Crown Jewel is kind of just Crown Jewel. I can't think of a Crown Jewel that I've absolutely loved. But, I mean, this one got the job done. It pushed some storylines in some pretty good feuds. So, well, I'm excited to see how things go. But that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the Export.net RP. The Export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow Export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Export. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll see you all next time.